Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West football podcast, MWR.com. Um, we, this is recording timestamp as, well, I'll give another podcast a plug momentarily, but we'll, we'll do that in a moment. 9.45 Mountain Time, Monday. Yes, Monday. We did not record Sunday night. Monday, 9.25 Mountain Time. So people know, if you listen to this, Matt, it, it's going to age, hopefully it ages better than our, Mar- our Marcus Arroyo Coach of the Year long shot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and and apologies for the delay to our, our dedicated listening audience, I'm sure. Uh, you can blame a bus fire on the grapevine for putting me 90 minutes <laughs> on my post-holiday travel home. Putting me 90 and minutes behind. I also blame, blame and kudos to the, well, I'll put blame. The last week of Mountain West football literally meant nothing to most anything for, you know what I mean? Like bowl eligibility. Yeah. Yes, like a lot of things were set, but it still still brought the entertainment. We, oh, it totally did. We have we're at five, it's our week thirteen recap slash holy crap news players quitting, coaches fired, and uh, what else am I missing, Matt? I don't know, but let's get into it. <laughs> yeah, and in that the delay ended up proving very fortuitous. We're we're going to cover all of it, games plus everything that's happened in the twenty four hours plus since. We totally could do like four pod four podcasts on all these topics, but we're not going to. This one might be a touch longer than our normal, but we'll get to it right now. So here's our play. We'll go through the games, talk about them a little bit, but there's a bunch of news surrounding the games that we'll dive more deeply that are honestly, if I'm not joking, Matt, um, this time of season is more for me, it could be more fun than the actual games, which is weird to say. I like the drama and stuff. I like the games, they're fun. I watched a full Fremont Cannon battle for the heaviest trophy in college football. I watched Utah State, Boise State, and Boise State won by a good score, but it was closer than thought. I tuned into the Slogfest Air Force San Diego State. You know, 15 points for being undefeated, that really sucks. So, so what you're saying fun, is but... you made the most of your long holiday weekend. Totally. I watched, I watched like half these games on Sunday. I was busy over the weekend. I'm like, let me just, I got nothing going on Sunday. My Cowboys already played Thursday and won. One of the 42 million people who watched that game. So I had plenty of time to pull up. And also, I should give a shout out. I haven't used my Roku TV to use the Mountless Network. It is extremely smooth on that on the app for Roku, the Mountless Network. Just just saying, fast Very forward looks great. There. It, it was. I'm just saying it was. It was amazing. Like I've rarely I've used. I usually watch my computer as a second screen. Typically, when I use the Mountless Network, and it's been a few months because there haven't been many games, maybe a month or so. But it, it works extremely well. Well, let's get to the games. Let's go all the way back to Friday. Utah State 23, Boise State 42. Um, Boise State won by a good margin, but it really came down to the wire at the very end. Yeah, and I mean, it the- was definitely, I mean, I know that y- y- momentum doesn't really exist, but it was definitely one of those games that would make you think that it did. 
just in terms of like, you know, scoring momentum, Boise State comes out to a 21 nothing lead. They're up 27 or 21-7 going into halftime. And then throughout most of the third and fourth quarter, Utah State came back and chipped away 21-10. You know, Boise State got, got out to 28-10. And it was 28-23 with under a minute to go. And all of a sudden, Utah State was right there at the goal line with a chance to steal a win on the blue. And that is where, you know, you really got sort of the microcosm of both these teams at large in the season in that final minute of the game. Because on the one hand, you know, (laughs) know, so to lay it out, which is sort of what I'm talking about, you know, on the one hand, you have Cooper Laga, who on the whole had a pretty good morning slash afternoon, 23 of 40, 306 yards. But as has been the story in, in sort of a number of games in the second half, Turnovers did them in again in this game. You know, the two interceptions, you know, including, you know, the the sort of the the game killer uh Which, down five that points. Counts, but it's that what matters, but they weren't gonna come back to win where they're down twelve. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. I'm just saying yeah. like it was one of those it things sucks. where you know it was yeah. right there, but you know, those killer turnovers, yeah, where makes it look worse. Yeah. You know, yeah, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago when they beat San Jose State, they did it despite being minus three in the turnover margin. So, like, that yeah. is really the kind of thing that that haunted them all season long. Like, they end the regular season with the most giveaways of any team in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, that was a, a big part of, like, the beginning of their season when, they, when the offense was scuffling. And even though things did improve down the stretch... Yeah, I mean, you have to think like they're going to look very closely at this film over the offseason and figure out, okay, well, how could we execute a little bit better? You know, don't drop I think a, a lot wide of that... open pass. No, wait, don't drop a wide open pass on a perfectly executed end around pass back. Come on. I know the tight end for okay. was who dropped it. He struggled his shoulder. I'm like, dude, in your hands, Aggies catch it. Yikes. And, and you know, I do give them points for ingenuity. You know, Twice, they had, yeah. I think, you know, three, yeah, three different players throw a pass in the game. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that Lagarde doesn't have the goods to, like, become an above-average quarterback in, in oh, the Mountain West. I absolutely think that he can. He does. But, like, you know, avoiding those turnovers going into 2023 is going to be part of that learning process. Because, you know, between him, between Terrell Vaughn, eight catches, 148 yards and a touchdown. So good. Yeah. I mean, Brian Cobb, seven catches, 75 yards. Justin McGriff, six catches, 76 yards. Like, there's still going to be a lot for this Aggies team to build around. Yeah, they'll say that at the same time, turnover on downs doesn't help twice in the game. Like those were two killers in the second half. They had fourth and one, couldn't get it done on Boise territory. They had the other one where it was a deep drive through there moving well. The other one was, okay, fourth and nine. That's the one that interception to kind of, I guess it's, wait, was that interception or turnover on downs? Maybe my ESPN is not not get at me. I guess it's, same thing, interception, turnover, and down, fourth and nine. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the same situation. So that interception totally was the game killer for the – when they were di- driving deep in Boise, two plays, 90 yards. That was the – I was referring – if there was any mis- misunderstanding, I was referring to the yeah. second pick six. That was like, yeah, it sucks. It happened, but it counts, but it wasn't – I don't think that would have made a difference in the game if they went down – No, the yeah, I get what you're saying. Unlikely. But, yeah, they had the fourth but and nine. at the same time – you it might hurts. say that it served as a as a really effective wake up call for the Broncos before this championship game they have coming up. Yeah, because so com- it really was sort of a story of two halves, wasn't it? 
oh yeah when i'm, when I'm watching 21 i'm like this is a blowout i'm like whoa then i see the final score and i'm like wait well then nope those 14 points really Kate, like you said within one minute left 28 23 yeah and, and this is not to say that like the offense really um you know let up in the second half like in the first half they outgained utah state two to one and the Broncos, oddly enough, had almost 200 yards of total offense after halftime. But the problem was the defense was outgained nearly two to one themselves in the well, last three minutes Skinner, of the game. JL Skinner, the yeah. targeting. And yeah. so that call, that was the right call. You think so? I thought it was. I think there was a lot of people pointing out that maybe it wasn't. It's it's always difficult to tell the targeting. Here's what I will say. I am a I officiate a different sports water polo, which is quite difficult because you can't see half what's going on. There are rules mm-hmm. in place that the call was hundred percent correct. What he did, he did. You don't have to hit him in the helmet. He let he dropped his head just enough. There is a certain rule which I I understand in the, the game I officiate, but I I'm not a fan of. So <clears throat> the way it works, there's a, a newish rule where if you're fouled in water polo, it's similar to soccer, you get like a free pass essentially. Not 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 necessarily like an out of bounds of basketball or soccer, but you get fouled, we blow the whistle, defender has to give you a little space to kind of give you a chance to survey for a couple seconds to pass the ball or do something with the ball. Mm-hmm. So the rule that's kind of new is that you have to actually make separation with your hand on the ball. So, like a good example, if you have the ball in the water, it's gonna to toss it up yourself to catch it. Mm-hmm. That mean that it indicates defense can come get you. You can do other you can move the ball, but if you hold on to it too long, we we have to turn the ball over. Okay. So there's that, but but you can't just swim at the ball because that would make sense. Oh, the ball's in front of me, I can swim with it. Because there's not clear separate, not clear indication it's in play. Because if a defender attacks you too early before the ball's put in play, they get excluded like in hockey, they go to the corner for 20 seconds. So that they mm-hmm. put the ball like tossing the ball, it's like, oh, it's in play, I could go after you, I can get you, I could do something. But that rule's kind of finicky. It's like, oh, there's someone with it, there's no point, there's nobody around them. We got to turn the ball over. It's like, so it's annoyance where the call is correct, but the rule may need to be adjusted. Mm-hmm. And I, the hit was fine. He dropped his head, but that, that led to a lot of had to have because he's literally the best, sec, like really good secondary, one of the best in conference, best on the team, essentially. And that led to a guy, not as good back there and using their depth, which clearly is not quite there, but losing one of the best players in the league doesn't help either. So that hurt them as well. There's also a couple injuries. Like George Lonnie had the sh- ice on the shoulder couple of things going on for the Broncos before they head into conference title weekend. But like, should these guys have even been really playing? Cause we discussed before, like how much are they going to play? They brought everybody yeah, out. To play and, and as was sort of helpfully recounted by Ron council with the Idaho statesman, you know, he noted that they went into the game. No Zekiel Noah, that linebacker, no Dimitri Washington off the edge, you know, Herbert gums, defensive lineman, all, all already had injuries. You mentioned Halani. You know, Tyreek Jones, their primary nickelback, shifted to safety after Skinner got ejected for that targeting call. He had to get carted off the field. That's true. You know, wanted some of their defensive line depth, you know, Ahmed Hassanain, I believe. You know, he got uh, banged up. So, you know, obviously we'll talk about this in more detail when we turn our attention to the championship game later this week. But I think it really does come down to, uh, you know, come back to one of those things we mentioned in the preview you know, on the one hand, you do get cool highlights, you know, like Scott Matlock catching another one-yard touchdown out of that Clydesdale package. Clydesdale package. <laughs> which, which, great branding, by the way. 
I'm surprised they don't have a t-shirt of that already. But anyway, totally. you know, you, you, you get highlights like that. You get guys like, you know, Eric McAllister continuing to step up three catches, 40 yards, two touchdowns. Seven Cobbs didn't play either this game. He didn't suit up. Yeah. So, but, but it, it, it's hard to argue that it didn't come with at least a little bit of a price. And so that's going to be something to keep an eye on throughout this week. Yeah. Also, we should mention real quick, Taylor Green, four touchdowns. Look solid this game. And oh, and the fifth on the ground, which was oh, a record correct. program record setting 91 yard touchdown run. Did you appreciate Aaron Taylor calling him? Hey, people say it looks like Vince Young out there. I'm like, stop it. No. Oh, you know what, though? You know you what? On that run? <laughs> I, you know what? I will allow it. And you know why? why because you know, J, you know, Jay Tust pointed this out. And so I, I went and I double checked it to confirm. Right now, Taylor Green is the only quarterback in the country with zero interceptions in the last five games. Not bad. Ten touchdowns, zero interceptions. We have our breakout player, player of the year. And I put on Twitter, I made a new a copy of the doc that our staff is using for people to fill out. I haven't checked on it yet. One of our categories is kind of a breakout player where guys who may not be player of the year candidates, may not be newcomers of the year, freshmen, but they kind of had a big splash like Taylor Green. Jalen, like all these guys, Jalen, I can never speak. Jalen Maiden, excuse me, Aztec quarterback, and a few other guys like John Eldridge the third, a couple of guys like, yeah, they broke out, but they're kind of unexpected stars. But let's move on yeah. to the next game. New Mexico hosting, or excuse me, New Mexico on the road, it loses 17-0 Colorado State. So, man, I guess that t- the double-digit line was not a fluke or whatever it was, eight and a half or something for the Rams. It was appropriately um, set. So here's what I'll say about the Lobos because they desperately need an offense. They're looking for a coordinator this offseason. Danny Gonzalez is going to be trying to find out who he wants to come in to replace OC. And that, and honestly, my assumption would be the whole offensive staff is going to be gone or the OC new OC gets to decide on that. But I, I, there is one bright spot. Christian Washington had a solid game, 88 yards rushing the ball. The freshman out of San Diego, not a big, not a huge guy, but he had his best game of the year. I believe I'm correct on that. He had 300 yards on the season, but 88 yards in the game. Solid performance, almost five yards per carry. So they do have that, but they always seem to have a guy here or there. They just kind of need more guys. He did have 64 versus New Mexico State, but besides that, they didn't do anything. Montez didn't do anything throwing the ball. Obviously, zero points proves they didn't move the ball very well. He had 62 yards. He threw the ball 27 times, but had 62 yards. How does that happen? It happens because the Lobos have lots of work to do yeah. on the offensive line in particular. Yeah. And and this is not to take anything away from the Rams. The Rams defense was incredible in this game. Obviously, you know, it, it takes a lot to shut out anybody. But in this particular case, it's it's really hard not to notice that CSU had five sacks uh, in, uh, and, and 11 tackles for loss in this game. Eight pass deflections as well. Yeah, so the, the the defense was basically firing on all cylinders from the jump, and I think it was sort of like the latest evidence of sort of where the Rams are building to, which in a lot of ways is maybe a little bit different than people would have expected coming into the year. But at the same time, you know, they also showed improvement in the finale against a defense that, you know, again, only gave up 17 points, but... I think it's fair to say that like Clay Millen probably got the better of him in this game, didn't he not? Oh yeah, clearly two two touchdowns. Well, specifically Torrey Horton, Torton, 131 yards, one TD, ten catches. 
And also, didn't Clay Millen, you put it in your winner's column, didn't he set the freshman record of completion percentage? In yes, he did. What, That's 73%? Right. Uh, I don't have the exact number in front of me. Not important, but it's it's quite it's quite high. I can look it up in a second. But this there's not much to say about this. That's close. So the Rams there, like if we talk about we'll talk about future a little bit, because there's not much surrounding this game really besides a new OC coming in. And also there's some reports. We'll get to game by game a bit. I guess we should have mentioned the Boise game as well. We'll do it now here. So you only need a new defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And names have been rumbled and mentioned Rocky Long and also Frank Miley from who's a Boise State right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Rocky Long, he's old, 72. Not a fan of BYU when he coached New Mexico as a head coach or senior state, but that's probably because BYU beat the crap out of him. And then when New Mexico was good, they still weren't good back in the old Whack Mountain West days. And I just have a hard time him leaving a job where he's helping his buddy in New Mexico, Danny Gonzalez, to go to a job, to a Big 12 job where BYU, honestly, Matt, they're probably going to win like two games, two or three games next year. No, sorry, they'll win two because they play San. In Houston State, who's moving up to FBS, I think they play Southern Utah or Utah Tech one of the two again. So they'll they'll and they probably play somebody else. They could probably beat one team in the Big Twelve, like West Virginia, maybe. They're going to be bad. So why do you want to go get your head bashed in against Big Twelve defense offenses like you know Texas Tech, you know Baylor, Sunny Dykes at TCU, Houston's coming into town, Cincinnati, even with new head coach, will have, has a pretty good offense. Like, do you want to handle that? Do you go with that? No. And Frank Miley from from Boise State. Do you remember what happened? What, what he said when he did not get a head coaching job at Utah State when Gary Anderson quit again? I don't remember the exact words now. Basically, religious discrimination. Mm. Saying he wasn't going to be hired because of his Pacific Islander descent is all alleged of what he said. I believe the lawsuit, but I don't think it went anywhere. Basically, saying because he was a member of the LDS faith there and a Pacific Islander that he would not be the right guy to lead Utah State going forward for most likely recruiting purposes. Do you think BYU wants that guy to come around if he's mentioned that? Mm, I'm doubting. Just saying, it's hard. It, that's, a, that's, that's a little difficult. I mean, that's not easy to get. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's tough to, tough to work on. And we'll talk about more. There's San Jose State coaches well with Odom there. But with this game, Ram, that's, I put those two out there. I don't think either of those are getting that job. <laughs> it makes the most sense to me, in my opinion. But I'm going to say, I'm going to, Publicly announced my uh, a thing here, Matt, for we're giving out award seasons. You know how you made the case for um, Jay Kaner. People, make, people, all our staff is making case for players of the week. I was, I'm seriously debating player of the year, and you probably know where I'm going if we're talking about this particular game here. But there's been honestly, has there there has not been one single player to me that's been that's played enough games. Sorry, Jay Kaner. Apologies, even though he might be, he's probably the best player offensively. I'm gonna. Make my vote right now. I'm voting for player of the year, offensive player of the year. Colorado State wide receiver, Torrey Horton is my player of the year. He's been and the best be player. Well within your rights. But I, and I don't think I'm far off. I don't think he'll get it from our staff. But honestly, I'm betting if you look at the media, when like the people actually give the official votes, I'll probably be Shavon Cordero, make me my, my best guess. Maybe Brad Roberts. Jay Kaner's good, but it depends who's going to overlook how many games he played or didn't play. Like mm-hmm. Taylor Green came on late. Um, mate, say Aztecs, QB, mate, all those guys. It's like, or George Lonnie, eh, not quite there. But as for the most consistent player, the most dominant player, I know Jalen Moreno Copper has set one more, three more catches than him. But I, I'm going with Torrey Horton for what he's done all year. I'm like, there's on the team you're playing for, and you're doing that good. I'm voting for my player. That's all I'm saying. So 
do you want to announce your vote or are you going to keep it a secret for a minute? Or are you going with no, Jake Hader? I'm going to keep it to myself for right now. Well, interesting. But can, can I, can I, is that a defensible take to put him as the player of the year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's been so good. All right. Uh, next game, what do we got next year? Or anything else you want to add about this particular one? Do we need to do no, I think else? we're all I think we're all set there. Probably not that much to say about Fresno State 30, Wyoming <laughs> zero as well. <sighs> what happened um, to the Cowboys, man? Were, like honest question. Do you think they were emotionally hungover from the Boise State game the week before? Maybe. But it's not like here's the thing. Looking at Fresno's numbers, it's not like they just dot beat the crap out of them. I know that 30 to 0 looks like it, but Jake Hanner was fine, 183 yards. Jordan Mims was fine with 52 yards. He had three touchdowns. Like Zane Pope saw a game six for 83. They had, there was no nothing. I know they did two interceptions, but there was nothing that's like Fresno State's just going to dominate. Like Fresno State was bad on third down, didn't get a fourth down conversion, were worse on penalties, were plus two, which is fine. But it's not like Fresno State played an amazing game, but they still beat the crap out of them 30 to zero. Well, y- yes and no. Because it's on weird, the one hand, well, because oh, and and I think that's where you look at first half versus second half, where exactly yeah, you, know, we, yeah. you would say the final score was thirty to nothing, but it was twenty three nothing at halftime. It totally was. Yeah. But I think to your point, you know, it wasn't like Fresno State was lapping the field or turning it into like an absolute track meet. They were more or less just taking at, yeah. taking advantage of golden opportunities that Wyoming was was handing to them. Like on the day, they ended up with like a seven yard field position advantage on average. Yeah, I looked at that there. Um, yeah, clearly. Yeah, but at the same time, like their longest touchdown drive was the first drive of the game. Five plays, 66 yards. It, you know, after that, it was just, you know, Clayton Stewart, the punter, didn't always have the greatest game. I think he had like one shanked punt early, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Andrew Peasley had two interceptions in this game, under 50%. Also got taken down for a safety. Um, yeah, it was just one of those things where, I mean, what, what do you really say? At a, at a Defense was point, fine. Right? One sack, four TFLs for Fresno wasn't wasn't Fresno State did the job. It's like a workman's like victory. They were dominant early and just took care of business and kind of cruised in the second half. But they were yeah. like, like like if you look at their drive chart, I know it's kind of boring, but you mentioned you're right. Like their touchdown drives, the first one was 66. They had plenty of three and out, four and outs, three and outs, five plays in a punt, like not going, not extending drives very often. And so they mm-hmm. were punting here and there, turnover on downs once or twice, at least once when they were like, you get to Wyoming 42. You're not going to kick a field, you're not going to punt. It's like, well, what are you doing? It's like, it's fine. But they, there was no, like, the, also part of the, the uh, let me get that, the uh, field position. Like you said, we have shorter field, John getting many yards. They just were, they just took care of business. And uh, she gets to the Titus one part where apparently he's now officially off the team as of today, Monday. That's night, right. Monday and morning. officially in the transfer portal. Yeah, or or will guys, be when when it officially opens up, but he's like unofficially official. Yeah, he it's all the guys he heard going to the portal. You can go to the portal. I think it's the oh crap, is it the day after the title game or is it the day after the playoff is announced? Like the I saw games. someone mention December fifth. Yeah, so it's the day after bowl games and playoff field is announced. That's where this. Okay, I wasn't sure one of the two. So yeah. I don't know what it is, but our buddy Jesse in our DMs he used to do Wyoming stuff and started does occasionally. Mentioned like Craig Bull made a comment. And he never makes a comment. He usually just has no comment about this type of things. He, he just said he didn't live up to the standard of a cowboy. So mm-hmm. having him play Saturday and gone Monday mid morning, late 
early afternoon. I forget when it was. Wonder what happened. It's kind of weird, right? I mean, we may never know, or, or at we least at a minimum, probably we probably won't know for a long time. But yeah, judge. Okay, and and I, <laughs> I say this, you know, realizing that there's a lot of context to be filled in, but you know, when you see sort of when you see tweets, for instance, on social media, and sort of what what I sort of perceived as supporting tweets from teammates now former teammates of Swens, mm -hmm. I sense that there might be a little bit of a rift going on. And I wonder how much of that reflects back on, you know, some of the issues that seem to have plagued this issue for a while now. Or I mean, last year when everybody, when everybody transferred after the dominant bowl win? Is that your first Yeah. Year? Like, do you think that, that this is maybe, I mean, I'm probably projecting a little too much here, but like, could this be? The precursor to, to another episode like that? I don't know. Did Craig Bowl learn his lesson and not be authoritarian as much? I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. Dude, we might find out Tuesday morning. <laughs> Remember how quick it was last year? I'm just saying. By the time this is out, we may hear some things. Just saying. This is true. So it's so some team's going to get a great running back who's, what, one, two years? I'm not sure his eligibility status, but. But for a while, I mean, I don't, dude, I don't know, man. It's thirty zero. It's the same old story. Solid running game, good defense, no offense. So, and, and well, somehow the seven. Yeah, I don't know, man. Seven and five, cool. And for and for Fresno State, they were, you know, they are also in next week's championship, and as we talked about with Boise State earlier, also had at least one injury of note coming out of that game. In uh, defensive end David Perales, who oh, it's pretty good by the fourth quarter was in crutches. We did get an update on his status earlier today. Uh, the official word from Jeff Tedford is that he is day to day. But I mean, cool. yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like, what else does the coaches say? I mean, if he's limited though, or or worse, knock on wood, if he can't go. You know, like that's a significant deal for this Bulldogs defense because you know he has more than twice as many TFLs as any other player on the team. Like, and and he's basically the entire pass rush. You know, ten and a half sacks. The Bulldogs have twenty four. So it's that's going to be something that's well worth watching. I'm sure it's something that we'll come back to when we record our preview later this week. Exactly. All right, next game. What do we got here? Now we're on the Saturday games. So Hawaii, uh, San Jose, Hawaii, San Jose State, 27-14 um, Spartans. Uh, what's there to say? This, this game was fine. San Jose State scored every quarter to win. Um, I will say this. Braden Shager played pretty good. Threw a million times. That's a problem. Running game is non-existent. However, hold on. Wait, Matt, I buried the lead. Kyrie Robinson showed up. 148 yards. See what happens when when he runs the ball well. The Spartans do well. I mean, it, it really was like a it it was a veteran led effort in this game all the way around. Like you know, Kyrie Robinson had a big game. Elijah Cooks maybe made his last statement for like being on the All Conference team. Ten carry or excuse me, ten catches, one hundred and twenty one yards, two touchdowns. Shavon Cordero had a good day on 
defense, you know, Billy Army Fahoko had two sacks, three TFLs. Nehemiah Shelton had four pass breakups in a TFL. He did, yes. It was, I mean, it was a good win all the way around for the Spartans. And, you know, for, for the Warriors, I mean, I don't want to say it was a step back, but it was definitely a, a, a contest where I think a lot of their shortcomings were sort of exposed. Yeah, we're going one in one point seven yards per carry in the ground. No run, run went over ten yards. The longest yeah. pass plays only twenty seven yards. They had no downfield, no explosive or big time plays, and that that's a big problem. They were down. Like the game was thirteen points is close, but it seemed like a mile apart. Because we look at what they're doing, how many times they punted, they missed a field goal on that long drive in the first quarter. They well, how they get they got not they didn't get close, but it's just a long drive just outside the red zone. They settled well, for it, two, it also, two field goals as well in this game. And it so also that's a took a well. while for for the offense to get going. Like in the in after halftime, you know, they're or excuse me, actually they're including their drive before halftime, their last four possessions got into Spartans territory. You know, and the drive right before mm-hmm. halftime got barely past yeah. midfield, but still counts. But, you know, the problem was they just, you know, didn't have the juice to make plays where it counted. You know, they got to the 43-yard line on their only drive of the third quarter, turnover on downs, 10 plays, 32 yards. Same thing on their final last gasp drive. Started at their own 30, got down to the 17, another turnover on downs. So, it like, it wasn't the result that anybody wanted, but I think they showed a lot to make you think that, you know, if they can sort of hold on to most of those gains, that they should be able to continue improving into next year. They could. Like, in that second half, they had the ball three times. Spartans were bleeding the clock like crazy. Yeah. Like they are just slowly moving their way down the field. And I'm trying to look at time of possession, which was still pretty close. But each team, when they held the ball, held the ball for a long time. So both, not just the mm-hmm. Spartans, the Warriors had – and there's – like, you're right. Their play drives in the second half, 10, 7, and 15 plays. So they were moving the ball. It's just that they didn't get points. They just got the uh, – well, they did. They got 13 points on the – or, yeah, 13 points. To, or, wait, am I wrong? Man, ESPN, I want to put – I'm looking at the wrong team. My bad. I'm looking at Spartans. My mistake there. I'm like, I looked at it backwards. They got the touchdown to win conversion, eight points. But they moved – they just reiterated, they couldn't get points. They moved the ball reasonably well in the second half. Like, I know it's 10 plays, only 32 yards. That's not great. But they controlled the ball. But it's like they their yards per play average was terrible. That's where it comes into no explosive plays. Like their final drive, even though 15 plays still only went 53 yards. That's like three, what's that, four yards? Not even four yards of play. And they mm-hmm. got down to the to the red zone inside the 10. So they reasonably they held the ball and moved the ball and kind of enough. But this game honestly could have been touched different. They make the field goal. They Maybe like the on those one of those fourth down, like inside the 10, they get a touchdown, or they imagine this they kick both, they miss make all those three field goals. That's nine points. They still lose, but they'd be closer enough that matters. But mm-hmm. I like the aggressiveness of going for it. You're down 21 6, you gotta do something. Like, what are you gonna do here? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're down, you're or yeah, you're down those points in the second half. It's like you gotta do something to get points here. And maybe had they got touchdowns early on, but that one drive, four plays, seven yards. What are you doing? When they got one of their field goals, that's a problem. They could not make a big play. They were in position to, I'm not gonna say win, but they had like if you look, you could squint and find some opportunities where they could have potentially pulled off the upstart, made it a bit closer. Yeah. So 
settling field goals and things like that. But let's go back to the uh, because we have another opportunity to mention the uh, defensive coordinator position at BYU. They are, and these are names, these aren't obviously official names just because nobody really hands out official names, right, Matt? (laughs) They're just kind of like what people are hearing or what's going on here and just kind of things what's going on. But we already mentioned Rocky Long, we mentioned Frank Miley, but also you have San Jose State defensive coordinator Derek Odom, who my bets out of the list that's of the names out there overall, including guys like Jay Hill, we'll discuss him in a moment down the road with uh, UNLV. But Derek Odom, I think very good chance he could be the next defensive coordinator at Boise or BYU. Like 2020 had defensive player of the year in Kate Hall. Fahoko this year is doing amazing. Kate Hall's making the case for play their defensive this year. So is Fahoko. The defense is very, very good. They give the quarterback. They have what 36 sacks before this game or after this game. He's mm-hmm. coached with Kalani Sataki twice at Utah and Oregon State. I would not be shocked if he gets a BYU defensive coordinator job. This would make the most sense. He's honestly proved to be a defensive builder, and one reason the Spartans have turned things around over the past couple of years. So you know better contenders. than you, you know better than most. Do they even allow University of Utah grads to have jobs at BYU? Um, Kalani Sataki was defensive coordinator for University of Utah, buddy. I know. He's I was just, but no, I was like, I yes. noticed that, you know, he, I've noticed that, you know, not only what you mentioned as far as, you know, his connections to Sataki, but that he's actually coached at two different, excuse me, yeah, yeah, two different Utah schools, right? He was with the Utes, but also at Utah State from 2000 to oh. 2002. Oh, he's at Oregon State as well. Was he also at Utah State? I didn't realize that. Yeah. So, I, so it's just kind of, a, it's sort of an interesting resume, but I do think, you know, given his track record over the last three years in particular, I'm actually kind of surprised like he hasn't been in more conversations for similar kinds of jobs in years past. I wonder if he's hanging out with Brent Brennan and like if had he gone to Arizona, I bet Odom would have gone with him. Probably. Yeah. Cause he's officially the assistant or excuse me, associate head coach. He's basically his number two. So what I mm-hmm. could see happening because there's with all the jobs opening, you got Colorado, you have Stanford, um, Arizona state's been filled like, you could see where Brent Brennan potentially Stanford's unique job. I know Brocko Mendelhall has mentioned with that, which would make sense with the high academics at BYU and also Virginia, a little bit trickier schools to get into. I could see Brennan be one of those potential openings. I know Deion Sanders has been offered at Colorado the job plus others, but he's quiet on that. I would not, I would, depending on the job, Odom's either going to, I could seriously see him taking that DC job at BYU if offered. And if that's where they want to go, or following Brett Brennan, Brennan gets a promotion to a bigger job, which I, I, I could see a real possibility in Odom going with him just to some other Power 5 job. Because somehow Justin Wilcox still has a job at Cal. I don't get that, but just saying. But that would, that would not shock me at all. It feels like the carousel is about to kick into another gear. Dude, it's, it already has. I can't man. explain it's, it, but it feels like it. You're not wrong, because even this past week, it's like, David Shaw stepping down. When you hear it, when you go back and listen to like we both listen to Split Zone Duo. If you listen to the clues, you know it's coming. Like mm-hmm. God, we'll get to UNLV and like God Stephen Godfrey mentioned stuff about the Rebels, which makes total sense and I agree with it. But they talked about Stanford a couple weeks ago. It's worth your five bucks a month to listen to that. I I, li- I don't even listen to the free show half the time. I listen just to the reg- the other stuff and sometimes I hurry up because it's a quick risk forty minutes. I'm like we are to recap stuff. But it's it's great info, and they talk about not just the big stuff, they talk about everything. And it's interesting behind-the-scenes stuff because it's just great to listen to. But I would not be shocked if Odom, if that if oh, that's Odom's path. The other minor path could be 
Brennan takes a head coaching job somewhere else, and then he just takes the Spartans head coaching job. That'd be that'd be very good for them as well for San Jose State to do that. So, yeah. What next game slash news do we have to get to? Well, okay, let's turn on. Okay, are we gonna save? Let's save UNLV Nevada for last. So let's go to Aztecs. Okay, yeah, let's go to Air Force San Diego State Falcons wrap up the year with a thirteen to three win over the Aztecs. Can I go watch the snowfall or grass grow instead of this game again? Oh my gosh. Did you enjoy this game at all? I mean, it was definitely like uh, two battering rams smashing into each other most of the time. If you like that, other, I guess. Other than Brad Roberts' 63 yard touchdown run, uh, not really a whole lot going on for either side. Okay, he ran the ball 35 times. So well, take away that one yard. That's just business as usual, man. That is not business as usual. Thirty-five touches. Come on, maybe twenty-five. Hold on, hold on. I I know for a fact that that is it's his not average the thirty first a game. Time he's had it's it's not thirty a game. It's it's twenty-five, twenty-five point okay. seven. See, I was but, right. Ted but, <laughs> but I will add that in terms of like per care as terms of carries, three of the last four games, Army, Colorado State, San Diego State. He's had at least 30 carries. And 29 in three other games as well. <laughs> yeah. Like he's basically been Hercules. How is he able to do that? I don't get it. Maybe he's the player of the year. Maybe that's, I should change my vote already. 1600 I mean, I, I yards. Mean, you, I know you're saying that with tongue in cheek, but he might be you know, 180. And, and I think he oh. now owns the single season record that the Falcons okay, I have you. for rushing yards I get- in a year. I got to change my vote. It's Brad Roberts. I'm sorry. Sorry to Horton, to Horton family. I damned what I said. So if you stop listening after that, it's wow. we're cheering. Sorry. I, okay. Come on. I got I, I got to okay. I'm just giving you our time. But Tory Horton's so good as well. He's so fun to watch. I'm such a bad team. He doesn't get credit. I, he's my first team receiver, obviously, for sure. So I'm going Brad Roberts because they're also 9-3 and three and 15 points from being undefeated and going to the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. But this game, like Rob Roberts is amazing. Eldridge the third is one of the other guys we put as our kind of breakout guys. But their defense was really good. We already know the Aztec running attack hasn't been great. Their longest run was nine yards on a Jalen Maiden running play, and he had minus four for the day. They could not run the ball. They they averaged Matt. I know this includes sack yardage. Every time they ran the ball, they lost. They were minus point one per rush. They That's lost right. yards every time they ran the ball. <laughs> Yeah, and and worse than that, it seemed like you know. Worse even than though, that? What's worse than that? Well, no, I was gonna. I was gonna say because <laughs> even though the Falcons only had two sacks in this game, it seemed like Maiden was under pressure basically all game long, it, which yeah, he, I think accounts like I think that accounts more than anything for you know his sixteen to thirty one line, one hundred eighty eight yards, and then I think most critically the two interceptions that he threw, picks, both yeah. of which could not have come at a worse time because they were both in the Falcons red zone with six minutes left in the game. So that's also fumble as well. Don't forget that too. Yeah. So like, same as we talked about with, you know, Cooper Laga at the top of the show, like I think that the talent is there for him to keep improving, you know, provided that senior state doesn't bring in another challenger for the job this off season. But I think if he does, you know, it's really going to come down to, you know, you know, developing and, and finding ways to avoid making those same mistakes in the future. But I think overall, you know, and that's not even getting into the running game woes, which I think, 
a young offensive line continuing to develop together is going to go a long way into 2023. But I do think that they need to find a running back that they can rely upon because it seems like they've tried the committee approach all season long. Or maybe they've just been waiting for someone to like emerge as the leader. And it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I don't know why it's been only this has always been what they've been good at. You know what I mean? It's a strange time to go in the Mesa, maybe. Um, that's weird, yeah. Um they're kind of like often this is it's weird to say like going for like they're they have Jalen made in the QB, obviously. He's there. He's there she should be fine. But the offensive line hasn't been great. They're gonna need a new OC as well, unless Jeff Horton's gonna be the guy take over, which we'll see. So that's another coaching thing we need to look at as well. But three points. Defense did fine, like sort of fine. You know what I mean? Like, I know Roberts rushed all over them, and John John Lee Eldridge did fine, but four four yards to carry, it's okay. But two hundred seventy one yards is kind of expected. Defense I mean, all had things considered, like how, how many times did how many times did Air Force run the ball in this game? Sixty six times. Sixty six times. So San Diego State. Only gave up six explosive plays, which in terms of like ground, in terms of the ground game, it's 10 or more yards. Like you, you do that against Air Force, like you're giving yourself every opportunity to win. Yeah. It's just the battering Ram Roberts, like going through, getting yards, touching the ball every time, not not being stopped. But they feel like play by play. I thought Air Force gets out 7 0, they missed a field goal, trade a bunch of punts. Air, they stop Air Force occasionally, like they only scored 13 points. Like they stopped air, they stopped them fourth one at the two. Huge stop. What do they do? Five plays mm-hmm. a punt. Air Force missed a field goal. Fumble leads to a field goal in the second half on the first drive for San Diego State. Air Force missed another field goal. Like the Air Force was far from perfect in this game. They had a lot of miscues oh, yeah. and missed opportunities themselves. Like they make a couple field goals. They could they get a touchdown on that fourth and one. They could have easily had close to 30 points in this game. You're right. Just by the two missed field goals and the turnover downs in the first half. I don't know. Anything else to add for this game? Do we need to get to the good stuff now, the juicy stuff? Well, um, we we should probably mention that San Diego State was the first team to figure out their bowl destination this year. Oh, that's right. Going to Hawaii to play Middle Tennessee State. Congratulations. Yeah, first first uh, reported by Brett McMurphy over at the uh, Action Network. Yes. It'll be. The, it's sort of interesting when you when you see non conference teams that we've discussed, re, you know, in the preseason and stuff like that. When they when they come back around in bowl season, it's like a fun little surprise. Say that again. It's always fun when like non conference opponents somehow come back around and end up playing oh. someone else in a bowl game. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you said playing again. Like yeah, you know, like la- like last year, uh, UTEP. You know this this year, Middle Tennessee. It's going to be really interesting to talk about the Blue Raiders because you, know, you had sort of one impression of them coming into the year, which if you want to go back and listen to our, our preseason podcast, you can. But they had a better than expected year, got off to a real shaky start against James Madison. But, you know, you may recall that they they beat Colorado State pretty handily at home. They beat Miami when they were ranked at that time in September. <laughs> it went, Sorry. Went 500 in conference play, but they had a like a, they had an okay season, so it'll it'll be interesting to sort of dive back into the into MTSU and see sort of how they got to this point. 
Also, I should note in my final projection, I did have Aztecs in the Hawaii Bowl. Just saying. So not bad. Congrats Golf clap for you. I think I think I did have Middle Tennessee, Middle Tennessee State a few times. I was kind of hoping they'd stick BYU there because that'd be a fun matchup. Oh yeah, BYU versus San Diego State, just rivalry stuff. Old old whack Mount West foes. So, all right, let's get to it. UNLV. First off, Matt, they won the cannon. That's pretty cool. Did you see how terrible the students were painting the cannon today? Are they going to have a professional go back and fix that? <laughs> well, okay. First of all, we should mention UNLV 27 to bat at 22 before anything else. But yes, I did see the photos. I did see people pointing out, why are they why are they painting the brass? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. That's one of I mean, many... I mean, not, not, many... That, not that I would have known any better, but like if, ever, if everybody's pointing out that obvious error, I'm like, ooh... There's a couple of things but before the, we get but, the... but, but you know what? But you know what? Be- before I was saying woo about that, I was saying that about the Wolfpack Wolfpack's performance in this game. Can Nate, does Nate Cox know how to throw football? <laughs> well, I mean, if you can say a 75 yes. yard touchdown throw to BJ Castile, then yes. Okay, let me rephrase that. Can he learn how to throw a consistent football that doesn't float and fumble in the air and go like a duck half 20% of the time? I mean, I think a lot of that is going to depend on whether UNLV stops putting pressure on him or not. He just is so – he makes, like, good throws. Like, he overthrows guys. He misses guys. Like Wolfpack should have won this game. Two field goals in the first quarter. Like, all, like we mentioned, don't settle for field goals. How many times in these games when we see, see these teams, they lose by a couple points. When they're inside the red zone, inside the 10-yard line, they kick freaking field goals. Mm-hmm. Touchdowns win games. Not defense, yes, but touchdowns win games. And then also don't lose the ball and have a fumble recovery for um, what's his, uh, Jonathan Baldwin get the uh, kick return, or not kick return, but fourth and one. Okay, you don't get it. Not the end of the world. Oh, wait, whoops, 55-yard fumble recovery for a touchdown. Uh, after that, after that, Nevada was like, you say they're shut down, but they moved the ball well enough to get close to the game. It came down to the final play of the game. They do, Matt, wish they had Cole Turner for the fade because Nate Cox is not the th- fade machine. He's not the he's not um oh Carson Strong. They could they sure miss Strong to Cole Turner, Matt, because the fades they tried were not even close. Well, okay, but not only that, but yeah, okay, is it a matter? Is it more Nevada playing their way back into the game, or UNLV almost giving it away? I would say UNLV giving it away because look what Nevada did second half. They got the field goal again, but they punt. Field goal, interception, punt, interception. It wasn't until the final, what, four and a half minutes left in the game where you, Nevada got the tu- got two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Or am, I, am I looking at that right now? The second half. So, sorry, the uh, maybe my, I don't have the quarter by quarter. Yeah, they, with, they got the ball six minutes left in the fourth quarter, touchdown. Then they got the ball again late and scored a touchdown again. My math is correct. This box score is going on over the place, but I'd say more you you and be giving it up until Nevada made a game in the final final little bit where they scored those fourteen points. Because then they also it, um, turn over on downs, fourth and one to five, they can't get it. They get that game's over. They win. And they fire Roy before he leaves the stadium. Yeah, they but fire the Roy time, after yeah, that I touchdown think- play. <laughs> But I think it also took UNLV a, a, a good little while to find its footing, especially since early in the game they lost Doug Brockfield to injury on. again. I need to apologize real quick. We'll get to that. So I'm like, you know me over the years I say don't use the ESPN box score. You know why I was confused on this? I watched the game. I'm like, they didn't score twice. You know why? So they scored the touchdown 27 to 22. Turnover on downs. End of game. 
ESPN did put touchdown turnover on downs for Nevada. So I'm like, I know I'm talking like this doesn't seem right. But so this that's is why correct. I recommend using collegepressbox.com. Yeah, I totally should. I use it a lot, but not for this for some reason. I don't know why. But uh, but we're, but at the end of the game, it came down to the final play and they stopped them, which it is what it is. But if Nevada seriously kick, doesn't kick a field goal early on, they only need a field goal to win the game. Same thing, field goals, and then they have to, they're forced to go for it. But you're right. You can just go to your point where with uh, Doug Brumfield being knocked out after only two passes and two rushing plays. I mean, I think you have to consider too, like it, it took a little while for them to get going. I mentioned Brumfield got hurt early in this game, only through two passes before getting shelled for Harrison Bailey. And Bailey looked like it was like the game was going to get away from him and the Rebels because in that in that first quarter, I believe he was only one of four. But you know, by halftime when UNLV built that 17 to 13 lead, that was in large part due to Bailey's performance because in that second quarter he was seven of nine for 112 yards and in, in the in a one touchdown yeah you know the, the the sort of the critical touchdown throw to Kyle Williams and so I think that that performance at quarterback I wasn't necessarily sold on the idea that they were to get that from him because you know both he and Friel in their previous Cameron Friel excuse me in their previous appearances hadn't looked all that great and maybe some of that was a level of competition you know Notre Dame is obviously a very good team for instance but you know when the chips were down it seemed like he stepped up and made plays when they needed him to down the stretch so like even in the even in the fourth quarter he was only four of seven but he had again another critical 30-yard throw to Nick Williams uh you know the touchdown throw and that was enough. Like it wasn't pretty, but they were able to get it done against a flawed Nevada team. Yeah. Um, he did well enough. Like Adrian Robinson did pretty well. Kyle Williams, Nick Williams had a decent game, but they got the they got the job done. Like the defense came up and made a big play at the end of the game to win. Yeah. They Nevada was only six and nineteen on third down. You only shut them down on fourth down, one for three. So Rushing wasn't great for UNLV, but they did what they needed to to win because Toa Tao was rushing pretty good. And I, I joke about Nate Cox. He did almost have 300 yards this game. He's had to throw the ball 45 times to get there. Mm-hmm. So after all this, Monday morning, we're we're kind of, I think in our DMs, we're chatting about, or maybe recently in the week, oh, there's probably no coach hiring, firing, big ones, Mountain West safe. Pete the MLV reports, he's out. Marcus Royal. What was your first thought when you saw that and you read that and whenever it was dropped or DMs or whenever you saw it on Twitter or whatever? How'd you hear the news? What did you first thought about it? My first thought was really. So I was very surprised. Why were you surprised? Because on the one hand, I mean, I, so I think if I'm trying to wrap my head around what the administration is probably thinking. The administration is probably thinking that some of that close game misfortune was intolerable this year. Because I think, and I think we talked about it most pointedly after the Hawaii loss a couple weeks ago, where, you know, th- at that point in November, like they had gotten pretty much all the way back to, to mostly healthy. You know, by that point, they had Doug Brumfeld back. They had Kyle Williams back. You know, guys like Ricky Johnson, um, you know, Aiden Robbins was back to to mostly 100. percent 
And then, you know, you go out and you basically make the same mistakes, for instance, against San Diego State that you did two months prior against Cal, you know, killer red zone mistakes. You know, you lose, you give up 37 points to Fresno State and just can't get over the hump there. And then you lose to a Hawaii team that on paper you probably should not have lost to. And then on top of that, yes, you win the Fremont Cannon, but you do it. You win your first close game in three years against a team that, again, on paper, you probably should have beat more handily. You know, if if based on what you had seen from this team sort of operating at, at mostly full strength in back in August and September, you would have expected them to win this game by more than five points. Yes, but they weren't but on, at full, but on, full strength. But on the other hand... You know, if you t- if you consider where he started two years ago with the roster that he inherited after Tony Chancellor's firing, you consider the gains that they've made in recruiting. You consider that on both sides of the ball, you know, they've had guys step up and develop into like big time players. Like, yeah, they they lost Jacoby Winman to the transfer portal and they lost Brendan Scott to injury, but other guys have stepped up in their place. You know, Austin Ajiaki is a is a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. So is yeah. Adam Plant Jr. You know, they seemed to find a knack for finding useful pieces off the transfer portal that didn't necessarily get the same kind of attention that you know, for instance, Colorado State did. But like Jerry Williams is a player, Elijah Shelton's a player. You know, Fred Tompkins in the middle of that defense is a player. So you know, they they were getting better. Like it wasn't perfect, but they were getting better. They they all had already doubled last year's win total. I think it would have been fair to say that if Royal and his coaching staff had been given another year together, that you might very well consider them a dark horse in in sort of the new Mountain West with Jake Hayner moving on, with you know you know other guys in, across the conference moving on. To at least be bowl eligible and maybe expect more. And now, based off at least the initial reaction we're getting off of you know, local media out there, Vegas guys like Joe Arrigo and stuff like that, you know, whoever's coming in might be facing like another mass, mass exodus. And whoever's coming in might have more of a teardown on their hands than they would expect. Here's the thing. Tony Sanchez was fired because he went 5-4-4, four, and four, right? The five, win totals. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get in Arroyo's final two years, she had more wins than Sanchez did, but one year was obviously shortened than 2020. If you look at UNLV's schedule, there's two things I point out. People, yeah, should they have gotten the bowl game? I 100%, even with the injuries, they should have beat Hawaii. So there's a couple, there's a lot of things I want to say here because this is, there's a lot going on. There's only, look at their whole schedule, Matt. Three games on there that I consider a disappointment. However, two of them were already losses regardless, in my opinion. San Jose State, I don't think they're ever going to beat them, even at full strength, or Air Force. Getting blown out by combined 82 to 14 doesn't help. And then also losing out in Hawaii by six points and a rival as well. Those are the only three games on the schedule that were a surprising result to me. Is that fair? I think that's fair, yeah. They lost to Cal, who's did Cal make a bowl game this year? They did not. Okay, well, Cal's not great, but Whatever. They Cal, I don't know what to put where to put the Cal in the category. They're just a it's still a close game to two teams that didn't make a bowl game. You know what I mean? So it's like, what do you want to do? Like they 
beating up on Stanford and Arizona and stuff. It's weird. So, and UC Davis. Losing to Cal is not expected. The first half, the second half of their schedule was completely different. They beat Utah State when they were struggling, with, regardless, they got the win. When they're healthy, like I mentioned, way back in our week zero preview or re- recap, whatever, UNLV never scores 50 points a game. I know their offense point total per game is not elite compared to the past couple of years. It's kind of slightly better. I went through and checked. They're, it's a little bit better, but it doesn't help those two, three games where they score 10 points or less. That doesn't help, obviously. Mm-hmm. But 34, 58, when they're fully healthy, 52. 31 against a pretty good New Mexico team when they were better defensively in the first half of the year. This second half of schedule, Spartans Bowl team, Air Force nine wins, Notre Dame a top 15 team, Aztecs going bowling, Fresno going bowling, conference championship participant Fresno. Yeah, lose to Hawaii, a very fortunate to beat the rival. That last that stretch, Spartans, Falcons, Irish, Aztecs, Bulldogs, that's very difficult. Yeah, they lost all those games, but that was fully expected, right? Like there's... Nothing to say. And then over the past two years, 10 games were lost by eight points or fewer. They win three of those. We're, he's still their coach. They're probably going bowling this year. They definitely are going bowling this year. If they, They're they not that far off. And Doug Brumfield, and how many – I'm going to look at this because I have a lot of article ideas for UNLV. I'm going to put out this week. Hopefully they don't make a higher sooner than later because look at last year the quarterback fiasco due injuries. Justin Rogers, um, Brumfield, Cam Friel. They had Amari Rogers, who people everybody thought was the next Cam Newton. They have nothing at quarterback multiple years. They had Charles Williams, Chuck Wagon. That's about it. And a couple defenders and some receivers like Ty. Um, I forget the names of them, but they had some receivers. So when Rebels fans say, and it's all, I totally agree. It's all group think. Seven and 23, seven and 23. I'm like, we well, some context, folks. Don't just look at the total record. I, were people, Matt, were people, I get it going from five, four, four to zero was tough, but that year is tough for everybody. I don't want to give them a complete pass for going winless in 2020, but they were getting blown out that year, partly because what you mentioned, people leave town when there's a new coach, right? They're not going to mm-hmm. stick around and stay. And so last year, they and we've I mentioned this a million times for San Jose State, New Mexico, UNLV when they're bad, there's progressions. You lose all these games, okay, it sucks. Next step, don't get beat so bad, which was last year, and outside of Two games, three games this year, and even the Notre Dame game, 44-21, a couple special teams are easy touchdowns for Notre Dame. They all count, but it wasn't Notre Dame driving down the field every single play for touchdowns. There was a, mm. I think it was a strip sack, I think a defensive or a special team score, I believe, or at least a short field. That resulted in 14 points. They may have gotten those 14 points anyways, but if UNLV punts the ball away, or doesn't, and maybe it's only 10 points out of 14, they lose 40 to 21. Still bad, but not as bad, obviously. Or maybe it's 30 to 21 because Nevada, you know, these defense holds a stand or something. But all these fans, they're delusional. Like 7 to 23, we expect more. Like, what do you expect at UNLV? Like, what I put out there, like, what are the, I know I'm about to try, but like, what are the realistic goals for UNLV? What do you think they are? It should be competency, it should be Wait, consistency. Not, not the other C word, that new, newish AD says championships. I mean, it's nice to dream, but I would, I mean, personally, as an outside observer, I would settle for one winning season. They have not gone to the bowl game since 2013. These five wins are, I believe, tied outside of that year, the most in 20 wins, I believe, 20 years, I believe, somewhere in that stretch. Mm-hmm. Yes, I get it. They should have gone to the bowl game four and one. But 
this is also a this is the first coach they did not allow for their full contract cycle since like the mid nineties. Back when Jeff Horton was their coach, where they brought in Richard Jard Robinson from the Rams in USC. You go to all the coaches they had, they've all fulfilled five, five, and done. And what's interesting too, the AD, I'm like, because we know that it's part of it, and that's the game lives in the split zone and their Patreon shows, new AD, not their guy higher. I didn't realize, and maybe it's my fault me for not knowing as much new AD, but this was an internal hire who's he's been around for nine years within the program. Mm-hmm. It's not like, yeah, um, oh, I can't even what's this, blah, 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 what's his name here? I'm blanking. Eric Harper, right? Is that his name? Yes. Um, okay, sorry. I was looking at going over the place. Yeah, he went to Kansas State and I think Arizona coaching job or not coaching, but administrative jobs. He's been on for a de- almost a decade in Las Vegas. I guarantee, being his position, he had a say in hiring this guy, right? I would say he had maybe he wasn't the voice, but he was probably a voice. Yes. Well, yeah, it wasn't Francois. Um, I forgot. My apologies. She's currently Desiree Reed Francois. Yeah, Desiree. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. It wasn't her sole decision. And we know there's a lot of Fertitta money looking about to figure things out because the boosters like certain guys. But him saying, here's exactly what he said. If you look at the start, everybody dealt with the COVID year. Okay. That wasn't a very good year for us. Me saying, duh. Next year, we didn't have much success until the end of the season. However, he did have success. I'm, I'm interjecting here there. And this year, we had success in the beginning, which proves second half to first half he's building. But he doesn't mentioned the difficulty of the schedule. But then we stalled out for six weeks and had a very struggling game the other night against you. He puts you in R. Obviously, Diggs should be Nevada, whatever. So at that point right there, there's two there's two costly mistakes here. First, he doesn't realize quarterback injuries are a big deal. And even when Brumfield came back, he wasn't quite there because he probably should have beat San Diego State, like all those red zone interceptions. Mm-hmm. And then it says that full body work does not show the trajectory of the program moving to where we want to go in that 20 championships. I get the confidence, buddy, but okay. Dream so with, so with that in mind, if, you, if you're talking about trajectory, I would offer this counter argument to Mr. Harper. BCFToys.com, Brian Fremo. I like to talk about him on these preview podcasts all the time. Yes. In terms of net points per drive, oh boy. net available yards percentage per drive, mm-hmm. and net drive yards per play, this was the best UNLV team since 2018, 2017, depending on where how you want to shake it out. Like, you know, the 2017 was slightly better. The 2018 was slightly below where this year's four team five, was. Uh, four but and like five, you, four you, five can, you can go and look up these numbers for yourself. bcftoys.com slash UNLV. You look at the column that says unadjusted net efficiency. That's just giving you sort of the raw numbers. And you just go to the middle NPD is points per drive, NAY is available yardage, and PP is yard per play. So, like, you look at those last four years, 2018, 19, 20, 21, it's pretty easy to see where the abyss is and how, how recently the Rebels were within it. This year's team, by comparison, got a lot better at a lot of different things. You know, like, the defense still had its flaws like they still gave up probably way too many explosive plays for their own good but they generated a lot more turnovers than in years past too the offense got better at turning a lot of those turnovers into touchdown or into at least scoring opportunities if not necessarily touchdowns i do wonder if maybe red zone play 
was a was a big deal in in the Royals dismissal because that is yeah. something that fell off a cliff in conference play. Yeah. You know, and and that's where it goes back to, you know, this this offense in particular making those same kind of mistakes in those same situations that they saw two months prior. I mean, on the aggregate, it's hard to argue the fact that it looks like they were improving and that given another offseason to recruit, to bring in another talented recruiting class, which I don't even have the 27 sports rankings in front of me, but I would have to assume that as of right now, I I guess that UNLV is at least in like the top half, if not like the top you know, third of the Mountain West. And now you're basically pre- you're pressing the reset button. This coaching tenure, the three years. Like if, you, sh- if you're if you're gonna make this move, you better be right about your next one. This do you want to know? Okay. There has not been a coach in UNLV football history that has coached fewer than three seasons. Hmm. There have been four that coached four years way back in their independence era, PCA and Big West days. From yeah. 78 to 89. They had a string of coaches, four coaches, well, or three coaches for four years. Or excuse me, but no, excuse me, Paul, 1993 with Jim Strong. Every year since then, that could have been. So there's a, honestly, like, I, I need to look more into it, but the only coach who's ever, and I'm using a strong word here, and I looked, I noted it in one of the articles I wrote today. The only coach, I think I'm correct on this, to ever receive a contract extension is John Robinson, and he coached for six years. I'm not sure if Stanford, I doubt Stanford or Hawk, Bobby Hawk, Hawk got an extension at all. Hawk, Hawk may yeah. have after the 76 year, but was fired after. So there could have been an extension there. That would make a logical sense on my part. So maybe there could be two. But regardless, John Robinson, who at that point was a retread from USC, retread from the LA Rams, NFL, coached six years. And that's their best, that's their longest tenure coach. There's a look at the cycle here. What makes you think you don't know if football is going to change when? You don't give a guy who, if you look at this another way, in the third, and if you look at third year coaches, yeah, Tony Knapp back in 1980 did get seven wins. That was their most successful coach ever, those four years where he never had a losing record. Um, third year coach, Har- Harvey Hyde, pretty good. Levin's very good, excuse me, Levin and two, quite good. But he coached uh, third year. But third year coach, like third year guys are not winning many games outside of those guys. Yeah, Jim Strong went six and five, no bowl game. But typically, you got like Jeff Horton, two wins. John Robinson, four wins. You have Mike Sanford, two wins. You have Bobby Houck, uh, two wins as well. Sanchez with four, uh, five wins. Ooh, there you go. Like in the modern era, Tony Sanchez is the most successful third-year coach they've ever had. Like, what are they looking for here? What do they? What do they expect? I don't know. But like you know what? Okay, so you know what they expect. I can give you the list of what they expect, courtesy of oh, Mike Mala over there at the Las Vegas Sun. Did you see that? I did. I I remember glancing at it. Do you have it in front of you? Yes, I do. So yeah. in order, no search firm involved. Yes, good. Don't waste money in that garbage. <laughs> Head coaching experience is a top priority. That's fair. Yes. Wants to move quickly. Buyout yeah, is good. being paid by private funds, and he believes that UNLV is an attractive job. Is this him saying, or is this what the what he's been told? Well, this this was the rundown of Eric Harper's, I guess, points of emphasis from okay. Mike Grimaldi's gotcha. perspective. That's why. Okay, that, yeah, that's what makes sense. Yeah, 
Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you UNLV head coach Brian Harson? Ah, stop it. No. Um, here's the thing. Also, if you look who they hired over the past, there haven't been many head coach city head coaches who took the job, right? Like look at who they had historically. Like Sanchez. They've no. tried, Arroyo. they have tried in, in recent tenures just about everything that you could. Halk was from the FCS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mike Sanford, if I'm not mistaken, was an OC before he came to Vegas. John Robinson was a Retreat. very successful head coach at USC. Uh Tony Sanchez was a high school coach. Marcus Arroyo success- was arguably a, was an offensive ar- coordinator. Arguably the most successful high school coach at the time in the country as well. Yeah. At Bishop Gorman. So what what what's what's Harper gonna different? Like looking at fans, like I get disappointment. They started a great record, but that group think of seven and twenty-three, like, oh, that's his record. I'm like, there's context in there. It's like these fans seem entitled, they're delusional. I'm I'm not saying every fan, but what I've seen on Twitter, which I know is the vast minority, because very few people are literally on Twitter, relatively speaking to the world. But I don't get why they think I, I don't understand. Because people left, kids left, transferred, starting over. They show an improvement every year. And this is the first time I've actually seen, like, hey, UNLV can do something. They hang around with San Diego State. They hang on with Fresno State. They're whooping up on a couple teams who they should definitely whoop up on. Here's also where Harper made. This is, can I give him, uh, I'll give him a free tip here. If you're going to fire your coach, do it before the rival game. Don't allow him to beat your rival and then fire him the next day. Oh, also, I know it's a press conference that he's leaving or being fired half an hour before you're going to have students celebrate the paid to Cannon rent. How tone deaf and dumb are you? Wait a second. Wait a second, though. Didn't what? Tony Sanchez win the Fremont Cannon too right before he was fired? I don't know. I don't recall. Maybe. Maybe not. I am almost certain that he did. In 2018? I am I in 2019, yeah. Yeah, 2019. That was the game with the with the big brawl at the end of the, the year. Fight. Guess what? The prior AD is the dummy as well. He learned from the best, I guess. It's one on one. It's the reason University of Utah fired Ray Jacoletti before they played BYU in a rival game, so they couldn't keep the coach if you beat your rival and give your fans motivation and excitement. Always fire them before your rival rivalry game. There's been talk that they are looking at get, getting together new staff and firing him after the Hawaii loss. Like, what were they waiting for? Were they hoping he would go in and curb stomp Nevada 40 to 14? Probably. Well, your quarterback got hurt again. Look what happens. You lose your best player and look what happens. Harrison Bailey played, he played fine. Like, he wasn't terrible. But it, like you mentioned, we were talking about the game itself. It took him a minute to get going. This move is short sighted, irresponsible, and just dumb. They have players in town, and I guarantee a good chunk of these players will transfer. Yeah. At best, it's questionable. At work, you know what I mean? Like, I get he maybe on his own guy because he's been around for years. Like, I'm going to, he's trying to make a move. Like, who is he going to get? But all these fans, like, like the local high school coach that burned through your Spain, you can't lose six games in a row. What against Hawaii? Well, I get it. But it's like, dude, I don't, oh, man. There's people like, well, not many programs. Five wins is acceptable. 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 When you're UNLV, it sure is a pretty good season, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking up how many times UNLV has won five games since 2000. Oh, I don't know. Three I don't times, know. I Let's say the year, the year 2000. I'm going to count them off for you. Eight and five in 2000, six Last and six in 2003, five and seven in both 2008 and 2009, 
Oh, you forgot O2. Five, five and seven in twenty seventeen. Five and seven in twenty twenty two. That is one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, I forgot the bowl team in twenty thirteen. Excuse me. The long story short, let's 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 at least have eight. eight. I I want one winning season before we start talking yeah. about dreaming big. Yeah, I, I know. Him saying it's okay. It's okay to think of you. It's okay to think of it as a sleeping giant. But at least San Diego State yeah. had, for instance, had won like you know eight or nine games a couple times before people started really talking about the Aztecs as a sleeping giant. And they should have had a Heisman Trophy winner instead of Gino Tretta. Come on, Marshall Falk for Heisman. Give it back to him. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was talking. I was talking more about the uh, the Ryan oh. Lindley years, but I take your point. Oh. Like okay, but... yeah, like yeah, like like go with something. Let let me know when they wake up. Let me know when they have one eye half open. Yeah, because it looks like it looks like they were finally getting there, and now and now it's they're asleep be... again. There's hiccups along the way to greatness, and I know well six game losing streak. That's not hiccup. I'm like, well, no, you're not wrong. But again, injuries. Vastly difficult schedule second half. Like there's even media guys. Like I'm gonna be hopping on at some point this week with uh who's it, Cofield on UNLV or Las Vegas, mm-hmm. whatever, ESPN at some point this week. I'm bringing the takes, I'm bringing the facts and slap them around. I'm like, what are you guys thinking? Like it's ridiculous. Like, so Holly Anderson, if you don't know who that is, she's an amazing cultural writer, does stuff for the fighting podcast right now with full cast. It she she quote tweets God Stephen Godfrey. Where he put you, UNLV was in talks with potential staff additions as a recently as this weekend, obviously after Hawaii, which I mentioned. Lesson here: Don't lose Rady. Duh. She she quote tweets. It's way down the list of dumb decisions at the moment, but I don't get the Royal Austin at all. People are saying things like uh, blah blah blah. So this guy, Sean Cunningham, he, we go back and forth on Twitter. I think I muted him for a minute, Matt, because I'm a little tired. If you only hired, as you mentioned, Brian Harson. He this guy literally says, I think he can win the Mountain West with what UNLV has right now, and he's not the only coach who could do it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Or then there's people say, well, why can't they be good as Fresno or, or San Jose State in one year? I'm like, well, Fresno's had success, and Jeff Tepper's a damn good coach when they brought him in. I just don't understand why people think they all keep yelling seven and twenty-three like it's some calling something. Everybody says that, and that's not the case. Of be the reason why it's like, well, let me rephrase that. Everybody going with seven to twenty-three is just kind of repeating what everybody else is saying because that's that's what they're thinking. Because it's a bad record. It's worse than a prior coach. But people aren't looking deep enough to context. Like, did they not watch this team play? There were times where it was very exciting, right? Well, okay, judging by the fact that just mere weeks ago, Fresno State fans outnumbered UNLV fans in their home stadium, probably not. <laughs> Like, what fans are there? Like, who's this is the vast minority? I guarantee most fans, I saw I put it on Twitter, most fans would like, like you mentioned, give me a winning season for what they've been doing the past 20 plus years. They would gladly take three bowl games a decade, right? They should be, they should be starved for success like a thirsty man in the desert. And not complaining that this isn't good enough, which and you they, can have. And a, they act, they act like they're gonna build Babylon. Yeah, like I get it. This isn't good enough. This isn't what you want. But don't act like you're gonna. Next coach is gonna turn around in five seconds. You want to know how many coaches turn stuff around that good? I know Scott Frost when he was at UCF turned around quickly. Jeff Tedford had one of the biggest turnarounds ever. 
there's not many coaches that come in. I know Clay Houghton did, but that's different with Portal and and IL stuff at USC. But there's not many coaches that come in and go from like three wins to nine, right? Uh, you are correct. I think the expectation, honestly, is get to a bowl game. Let's build from there. They should have had a couple of bowl games this year. They should have gone to the bowl game. The year they lost to Howard, and they're like one of the biggest Fs, upsets, betting line upsets ever when that Howard lost with Armani Rogers QB. Like they should, they literally should have gone to at least two bowl games in the past five years, which would have been great for them and build upon that. The fans just act like they're too good for everything. I'm like, you can be disappointed and want better. And maybe I could get on, on board with fans saying, I, I'm fine with the five firing because I want to be better. But then they go on to say, we deserve better. You guys reserve, deserve nothing. Like that's pretty harsh, but what do they deserve for this team? That's not been great ever. Why do they think they're better than that's like you said, better at first. That's what I'm saying. And before we go here, we're gonna wrap it up here. Right. Do you want to, any candidates that we, our buddy Michael Daly put out that you think are interesting to discuss real quick? I mean, uh, I mean, I was looking for like names that he may not have mentioned, and honestly, <laughs> given that UNLV's been sort of a pit for 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 coaching staffs, so, like I was looking back at like past OCs, past DCs, <laughs> position coaches, and stuff like that, and it's uh, I mean, for for people with explicit UNLV ties, the pickings are slim. So beyond the names that were already mentioned, I'm not sure what other directions they might want to go in. Um, names you put out there, you had Jay Hill at Weber State. You have Andy Lugwood at Utah, who he's been a, like a career OC. And he's been mm-hmm. to Mountain West a couple of times, back when Utah before. He was with San Diego State. Was he with Fresno State for a minute? I don't think I so. I believe so. Maybe he's been to Indiana. He's been a you can he, he's turned things around Utah and he's not going to get the Utah job. It's going to be Morgan Scally. Um, Brendan Marion at Texas, who we discussed about maybe being the New Mexico C. Take a, take a shot on him. Like Texas turned around reasonably well this year, better than they kind of faded in the second half, but they've been reasonably good, right? Better than people mm-hmm. kind of people thought are getting there. You have guys I'm trying to pull up who else you had on here. You had Troy Taylor at Sacramento State. Even though I felt when he's Utah OC, it was over his head for that job, but he's proved himself to be quite well at Sacramento State. Rough, rough up the Rams, pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. Could we bring in? We didn't mention this there. Could we bring in Matt Mummy to be the head coach? Possibly. Would that be an op- possible option? Possibly, although although with head coaching experience, has Matt, has Mummy ever been okay. a head coach? No. So if we go head coaching experience, you have Jay Hill, Weber State. You have Brian Harson mentioned head coach Rocky Long. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> Tim Skipper, Fresno State, but does he have head coaching experience? No, but he was a former position coach at UNLV. Keenan McCardell would be interesting. Current Miami Vikings wide receivers coach. Did you say Miami Vikings? Uh, maybe, but it's Minnesota Vikings. I, don't Minnesota I-, Vikings. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you could pull the guy who's worked with guys like Stefan Diggs and Justin Jefferson, you could do a lot worse than that. Yeah. Half kidding Deion Sanders. Why not? <laughs> you throw, uh, throw enough money at the problem. Sure. So here's a couple of long shots to Scott Frost. Hard pass. Apologies, Michael. I don't like that at all. Um, Ed Orgeron for entertainment value. Yes, please. But he's, 
he's cashing a check because when he's fired, he literally told the AD, "What? Where's the door? Where's the door to leave with my check?" Essentially. <laughs> uh, let's see, Manny Manny Diaz. That's kind of a stretch, I think. Penn State. I like Brendan Brendan Mary, but he's a bit head coach. I don't know what they're gonna do. It's like, who do they have the money? Like they have for Todd money who could put out there. Like if they wanted to, they probably could get the what's his name UTSA to come over if they have enough money. They do. I'm betting if they wanted to. I'm was it Jeff Trailer, right? He's the UTSA head coach. He lied. I mean, he signed a massive extension to stay in San Antonio. So I doubt that. What? No, I know, I know he did, but I'm like, Furtado has gambling money. He's if they wanted to, if they're going to pull University of Houston and Dana Holgerson, why not? He has the money to do it. But I think for because that's what Furtado did with U of H. He was down there, I believe, as well. His name's on those buildings with the Cougars yeah. and T Deck, whatever it's called, T Deck Stadium. If they want a head coach, experience it doesn't say what level, obviously. What's who's the best high school coach? Who's it? Who's it matter today right now, Matt? Who's your head coach there? <laughs> oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what to do, man. It's Honestly, this was a mistake. Unless they get like, like honestly, if we're looking at coaches who want to coach, just to coach, because I'm not sure how much offset money Harson gets from Auburn. But if they honestly, if they could land him somehow, that'd be that'd be awesome. That'd be really good. But it's gonna be, it's gonna have to be who it's gonna be an up and coming head coach guy who's like an FCS or lower. Can they pull a Mac guy over a Mac coach? I don't know. They can pull somebody from the fun belt, bring them over. Like I mentioned here, we didn't put in the list, but I put like I mentioned Willie Corn before, co-OC over at Coastal Carolina, him or his counterparts. Why not bring them over? But if they're stuck at head coach experience, they limit the pool because again, UNLV historically, bottom 10% of college football programs in the country. UNLV head coach Tim DeRuder. Oh, kill me now. <laughs> Jeez. Who wants that? Uh, I have no idea. I'm just like I said. I'm just throwing. I'm throwing former head coaches out there and seeing what's Willie sticks. Taggart, Chad Healy. Come on, they're available. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know about those two. Who's who's head coach of Incarnate Word? <laughs> GJ Kinney, who's actually been getting some heat for uh, I know. some other for for like OC jobs in the Power Five. If we're, I don't know, like a sitting head coach in the any FBS. There's like seven that would take this job, right? Maybe. That would I mean, but you do, I think that, the important thing is like you you want a guy with California ties too. I think that's really yeah. important to recruiting. Troy but Taylor you also need somebody. Guy. You also need somebody who like knows Vegas itself too, and and can be part of that atmosphere. I think so Taylor could be hard, the guy. It's kind of hard to say. Taylor was a finalist last time. He's considered. That's true. That would be a fine move. I did, we're, but we're but if they want to move quickly, I wonder how viable of a candidate he'll be so long as the Hornets are making a run through the FCS playoffs. Here's the thing about that. We can wrap on this. If he's your guy, just wait. What's I know early signing period, but if you want your guy, off can you you can offer him and do it, I guess, but he he he's a good choice, but I don't know, like Easter Washington head coach. I'd look and see who the FB, SCS head coaches are, but this would make. Here's the thing: Do any of these names really excite you? Eh. That there's your answer. You made the wrong move eh. if you're not sure, <laughs> right? Ryan Harson is better off sitting out a year. Like Matt Rule going to Nebraska. I'm like, what are you doing? Cash that Panther check and take a year to chill, man. What are you doing, right? 
we will find out, I'm sure, in the weeks to come. I'll end on this. Harper, don't screw us up. And say you want to play for championships is all fine and good. You know what he should have said, Matt? Because he goes, that full body of work does not show the trajectory of the program moving to where we want to go, and that's winning championships. What he should say, that full body, that full body of work does not show the trajectory of the program to where we want to go. We want to first become bowl eligible, then we want to compete for the conference, then we want to win championships down the road. We got to take it step by step. And there's no easy way to go from where we're at now to win our conference champion. It's very difficult. We need to get there, basically, and like I mentioned, kind of as I fade off with my quote, which is decent. But my point being, there's not a quick fix for the most part, like I mentioned. You should mention our goal is to winning records, go to bowl games, keep the cannon red, build the program to where we're at a point sooner than later to compete for conference championship championships. That would be just as a factor to say, we want to win championships. That's easy to say. It's hard to do. Better to say, we want it. We know we know where we want. We're not where we want to be. Here's how we get there. And it takes what I mentioned, bowl games, beating Nevada consistently, winning out a non-conference play, scheduling well to set us up to be successful down the road to where once we reach these goals, we can then start talking about championships. And I hope it's with this next coach we hire within a few years. How hard is that? And that may not be as flashy, but it's more realistic. And a lot of fans would still get behind that same message. People made fun of BYU when Brock Mendenhall said, we want national championships when they're freaking independent and playing half the whack. Nobody believes you, Coach Mendenhall. Come on. I guess we'll see. One last note. My honest goodness last note. They're non-conference scheduled next year. Bryant should be a victory. At Michigan, waxing. Hosting Vanderbilt, probably lost. Utah Patasa. Just saying. Sounds like two and two off the bat, but Maybe. you never know. There's a, there's a long way between now and next August. At least one. Bryant should be a win. At UTEP, decent chance. Vandy, they're weird. It's at home. Vandy's whatever. Improving. That, improving, but they also got drilled by Tennessee this last week. What, 56 to nothing, I think. So there's that as well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's it for the show. Our recap of week 13, all the news that fit to talk about this week. We'll have our MWR.com Mountain West Championship preview this week. Later on, probably uh, Wednesday, I'm guessing. Wednesday night, perhaps. And we have lots of stuff on the website. You were, I saw Matt looked at your drafts, looking on seven stats. I can decide the title game. That'll be interesting to read. Working on bringing that one back from last year. That's a good one. We're going to have ranking players. Who's the best players? Random prop bets. Um, who's going to win? Obviously, score projections. Um, injury reports. I'll have, I have, am I spending too much time on UNLV, Matt, going through all these articles I'm going through? Is it worth my time? Because I'm thoroughly enjoying going through this stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of intrigue involved around it, so no. So I'm going to keep going to that. We're also going to resurrect our um, coaching tracker with all the updates we've had recently. And you have doing a great job. We have the uh, transfer tracker, which is going to get busy this next week. Oh, yeah. And coming days, right? Yeah, All right, so that'll wrap it. Sorry, I, I, I was about to, I thought I was going to hiccup. Like, oh, stop, don't do that. But I'll leave it all in. We're not editing anything out. So mwr.com, if you made it to this end, thank you. Give us a review, share our stuff. And it's championship week. It's coaching season. It's transfer season. It's everything season right now. So we'll see you in a couple of days.